Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 13. Working our way through the Psalms this summer. Let me just say real quick, uh, Pastor Troy is going to be preaching next week, and I'll be uh, substituting over in Snohomish. And so I get to ride over to Snohomish next week. And so you guys get a break, and you get Troy, so congratulations. Um, So that's what's going on for next week. But our next psalm is Psalm 13. And um, last week we talked about lament psalms, these psalms that help us express uh, sadness, disappointment, And probably of all the lament psalms, Psalm 13 probably is the most well-known of that grouping. And the question I want to ask this morning as we have this, this genre of psalm is, how are Christians to be sad? I don't think you have to experience much of life to know that life includes sadness. It's a universal experience. We lose people. We lose things. We lose jobs. We experience sadness. We experience hurt. We experience pain. One of the beauties of the Bible's picture of heaven is that in one sense, sadness is gone. The tears are gone. And I think that highlights the fact that as we live in this world, we will in some shape or form, and at various times, experience sadness. And so the question, as with every experience that we have, is how are we to understand and live out that experience as Christians? See, as Christians, we believe that our faith changes everything everything. Every part of our life, there is a Christian way to do it. And this morning, I want us to see that there is a Christian way to be sad. There is a Christian way to be mourned. There's a Christian way to experience pain in a way that is both real and authentic but still finds hope and comfort in Christ. And like we talked about last week, sometimes we want one or the other. So we experience sadness without the hope we have in Christ, or we feel that somehow we must only experience the hope in Christ and not be authentic in our sadness. And so we put on a face when we interact even with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Many of you have probably experienced that. Many of you probably have done that. You know, the whole joke, you get into a fight with your family and the way, but when you hit that door, all of a sudden, hey, we had a great week. So the Bible shows us that Christians don't pretend that sadness is not there, but yet we do mourn differently. So that's why I want to look at this morning using Psalm 13. If you're following along in the outline provided in your Bible, first of all, Psalm 13 is on page 453 in the blue chair Bibles. And our big idea this morning is this. We can authentically mourn through our hope in Christ. 
so we can truly experience and be real about our sadness through the hope we have in Jesus Christ. I do want to say that as we get started here, I did borrow the, the outline that you're going to see in your bulletin. I borrowed that from one of the commentators, and I just wanted to give credit where credit is due. There's also a funny story with this guy. His name is Wilhelm van Gemmeren, and I actually had him as a professor at Trinity, and Darcy and I were dating at the time, and he met Darcy. I introduced Darcy to him, and he goes, I know what you need. You need to define the relationship. I have daughters. I know these things. And, <laughs> and that fall we were engaged, so I guess he was right. So uh, anyway, the first part of understanding Psalm 13 is in the first two verses, and again, if you're in your outline, you're going to see an expression of despair. How long? Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? We can't forget that the Psalms are poetry. And therefore they are meant to evoke and bring out the emotion of experience. David opens this psalm with this fourfold repetition of the question, how long? You can almost hear the weariness in his voice as again and again he asks, how long? How long will he feel this way? How long will he experience this pain? I think it speaks to both the intensity that pain can have, the intensity that sadness can have, but also speak to the depth and enduring quality of that pain. That there is that sharp pain of, of, of losing a loved one before their time or unexpectedly. There's the sharp pain of being fired from a job you've worked your whole life and now you're wondering, what do I do? But there's also that pain that never seems to leave. The pain that is there every day. The pain that we don't know if it will ever leave. Basic to our understanding of sadness and pain is that the Bible knows what you're experiencing. God knows what you're going through. And the Bible speaks to both. It speaks to all types of pain. It speaks to the sharp pain, but also to that dull and enduring pain. The Bible does not pretend that enduring sadness does not exist. The Bible does not pretend that depression doesn't exist. It doesn't pretend that if I'm a believer, my life is always happy and joyful. 
for those of us who have experienced that, and again, most of us will, if we already haven't, experience this in one shape or form. But what we need to see in Psalm 13 is, is a model of expressing our pain and our sadness to God. David does not whitewash his pain. He doesn't just put a stiff upper lip on and pretend it's not there. David pleads to the Lord out of his pain. And the first step in living out our sadness as believers is to name the sadness before God. See, one of the things we need to see here is that when David is experiencing this enduring pain and sadness and darkness, he doesn't turn in on himself, he turns to the Lord. He turns to the Lord honestly and authentically about what he is feeling. You cannot overwhelm God with your pain. You just can't. And so you can always bring that pain before the Lord. So this is a foundation to everything else of how we experience sadness and pain, that you can always speak honestly, that you can always ask the Lord, how long? When you feel forgotten by God, or you feel forgotten by your family and friends, look at the beginning of verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? When you feel forgotten, you, you, you bring that to the Lord. I love the picture at the end of verse 2. How long will I have sorrow in my heart all the day? And when you feel, at the end of verse 2, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? These are the times we speak honestly to the Lord about our pain. That's the foundation. It's not everything that we do as we'll see as we move through the psalm, but that's the foundation that when we experience this pain, when we experience even the enduring pain, we bring it to the Lord. And in one sense, we don't have to worry about how we talk about it. You don't have to put on a pretty face and pretend it's not that bad. You, you don't have to pretend before the Lord. The next expression, again, is a model for how we understand sadness and pain. The next step in how we do this as believers is in verses 3 and 4, and we have an expression of prayer. Give me light. 
Now, in one sense, the whole psalm is a prayer. In fact, most of the psalms could be said as prayers. But particularly verses 3 and 4 capture this idea of, of coming to the Lord in prayer. And we need to see the centrality of prayer in how we experience sadness as believers. Okay? Verses 3 and 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. The prayer explicitly points us to God. That when David has experienced hardship and sadness, he turns to the Lord. He calls on the Lord to answer him. The assumption there is that the Lord will answer. And when we pray, the Bible is very clear that when we pray, the Lord listens. Sometimes when we are experiencing sadness and pain, it is so easy to feel alone and that nobody is listening and nobody understands. The Bible is very clear. The Lord is listening and the Lord understands. Prayer is a beautiful thing because on one hand... Prayer is honestly expressing how we feel towards God. I mean, isn't that amazing just on one level of like we can approach the God of the universe with how I'm feeling. (laughs) And so it's an honest time. It's a time of expressing that pain And that sadness. But at the same time, at the exact same time, it's an honest expression of pain. It is a remarkable expression of trust. That prayer at the exact same time, both is us spilling our hearts to God, but at the exact same time is an expression of trust in Him. Sort of amazing that prayer can do that right right at the exact same time. Again, I think that one of our problems when we're experiencing pain and sadness, we turn in on ourselves. We isolate ourselves. We, we feel we have to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. But that's not the picture here. The picture is of both honesty, but yet dependence on God in our pain. And the vehicle that God has given us for that, the conduit, one of them, one of them is prayer. Now again, as you're thinking about how you deal with sadness and the place of other things that help us understand and deal with our sadness, What I'm saying is, prayer is not the only thing, but prayer is a central thing to how the Christian understands and deals with sadness. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. So David points us to prayer in our sadness. Because prayer is, again, a conduit of mourning and a demonstration of our trust in God. Prayer both expresses our pain 
and demonstrates our trust in the Lord. Verses 5 to 6 really separate a Christian understanding of sadness from every other view of sadness, from every other religion and and system of thought. Because some some systems will have prayer or meditation or mindfulness, but only Christianity, only in following Jesus, do we have hope in the midst of our pain. So verses 5 to 6, again, if you're following along in your outline there, is an expression of hope and trust, let me sing. Verses 5 to 6, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now again, we need to understand that the book of Psalms is poetry and there's this great poetic structure here. This contrasting between what he has done in the past and what he will do in the future. If you're following along, it's an ABBA structure if you wanted to take notes on that one. But look at verse 5. I have trusted, I will rejoice. Verse 6. I will sing because he has dealt bountifully with me. So based on the past and the present, what I will then do. See, that's neat how it works together. So let's look at the foundation of his hope. So in verse 5 he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. This idea that David has placed his personal trust in the Lord. And he singles out an aspect of God's character. His steadfast love. His his covenantal relational love with his people. It is a love that does not let go. It is a love that never changes. And so David is saying, I've trusted that in the past, and it was trustworthy. And I'm trusting that in the present, and it's trustworthy. And I'm going to trust it in the future because it doesn't change. And so because he has trusted in the steadfast love of God, he can rejoice in his salvation. He can find joy even in the depths of sadness. He can find joy in the fact, and David looked forward to this, but we know the rest of the story. We know that God sent his son to be born as a person and to die in our place so that we could be forgiven and have the hope of eternal life, that we could be saved, we could have salvation. And I can rejoice in that because that does not change whether I'm experiencing sadness and hardship or not. 
That is constant. I can always trust in that salvation. I can find joy because God loves me and that will not change. God has saved me and that will not change. In one sense, how God treats us gives us the solid foundation on which we can honestly and authentically mourn. Let me give a quick sort of silly illustration about this. I want you to picture a ball that you need to throw. And you need to throw it a certain distance. Now, you have two places to throw this ball in. One is a pool and the other is solid ground. Now, little known fact, I actually used to teach water polo for a little bit. Um, <laughs> But what you got to do is you're, you're treading water, first of all, which that's tiring. Let's be honest about that. And then you got to give a big kick so you can get your body high enough out of the water to throw the ball. Now, if I give you that same ball and you just stand on the floor here, you're going to throw it a lot better because you're not in any water. You're standing on solid ground. So in one sense, the hope we have in Christ is the solid ground on which we cry out to him when we are sad and we are depressed and when we are hurting. And to mourn without that solid ground, we would drown. We would drown in our despair because there's no solid ground. And you've probably seen friends who you have lost them to their sadness. Where they have drowned in their sadness because they didn't have the solid foundation of Jesus Christ to stand on when they experienced those painful times. The reason we can cry out, How long, O Lord, is we know He's listening and we know we are His. We can be honest about our pain because we know we trust him. And we have that solid ground on which to stand. See, again, sometimes we make these things antithetical. We say, if I'm trusting God, I can't be sad. Or if I'm sad, I can't be trusting God. And nothing can be further from the truth. Because we trust in God, we can express our sadness to him. They're not opposites. Love verse 6. Again, you need to remember that verse 6 happens in the same psalm as verses 1 and 2. Okay, don't separate these out. It's one psalm. So the same guy who's saying, how long, O Lord, how long, O Lord, how long, O Lord, how long, O Lord, is the same one who says, I will sing to the Lord. The same God that he cries out to in his pain is the same God that he worships. 
And even in his pain, he knows. Look at the end of verse 6. Because he has dealt bountifully with me. The way that a Christian mourns does not forget all the good that God has done. Again, in one sense, it enables us to mourn because we know that everything he does is for his glory and our good. Again, this, this is a problem. We, we too quickly forget what God has done for us. I should have mentioned it last week, and I planned to, but, but I forgot to mention it. So I told the story of Elijah last week, and how Elijah was like, God, take my life because I'm the only one left. The chapter right before that is the story of Elijah calling down fire in a miraculous way to defeat 450 prophets of Baal. One of the lessons of the story of Elijah is how quickly he forgot what God had done. And sometimes in our pain, sometimes we allow our pain to cause us to forget how good God is to us. And we need to understand that another tool in our toolbox when we're understanding and experience sadness Another tool is to remember how he has dealt bountifully with us. Gratitude to God for what he has done is again another tool to help us when we experience sadness and darkness. The other thing I want to say is the role of worship especially corporate worship in experiencing pain. Here, David singles out singing to the Lord. Again, we understand that, that this is a part of worship. We understand it's more, worship is more than singing, but, but singing has always been central to the worship of God's people. Okay. And I would further specify that corporate worship, corporate singing, has always been central to God's people. That is a gift from God for you in your times of sadness. Now, it's more than that, but that's one thing. There have been times where when I have been singing with God's people, that it has brought me through and sometimes out of those times of sadness because it's reminding me of, of who God is and what he's done. Again, one of the temptations when we experience sadness is just to isolate ourselves, to not come to church, not gather with God's people when that is the, should be the furthest thing from our minds. That gathering with God's people, especially in that time of singing that we do every week, is a gift from God to you for those moments. 
Now, sometimes it's helped you just to get through those moments. But other times, God can use it to bring you out of those moments. Don't neglect the gift that corporate singing is to you, especially in those times of sadness. So when when you are experiencing that, don't stay home. You need to be here. Let me close with a couple applications. Number one, be honest about your pain and sadness with God and with others. You don't need to put on a mask with God. David didn't. And in fact, one of the gifts of the Psalms and Psalm 13 in particular is it can give you the words to express that to God. God knows and he cares for you. He wants to know what's hurting. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 are so helpful. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Especially verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You can confidently bring your pain before the Lord. Number two, don't neglect prayer as a means of healing. Now, as I said earlier, prayer is not the only thing. I'm not saying if you're sad, you're not praying enough. Okay, I'm not saying that. But prayer is central to our healing. Prayer is central to our sadness and our pain. And to understand that in a way that is, brings glory to God. And too often we neglect that. Reminded of the old hymn, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And thirdly, during the times of pain and sadness, stand on the rock of your hope in Christ. Again, I'm not promising this is a quick fix. I've heard people make that promise before. If you become a believer, all your problems are going to go away. (laughs) No. No. But when you do place your faith in Christ, you stand on solid ground. You stand on the hope in Christ that cannot be taken away. One of my favorite verses on this is 1 Thessalonians 4.13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, 
that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Hope allows you to honestly and authentically grieve and mourn, but keeps you from being lost in that pain and sadness. Again, hope allows us to mourn properly and authentically. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Psalm 13. God, that if there is pain and hurt among us right now, that that we would look to you, that we would not be afraid to approach the throne room of grace and cry out, how long, O Lord? God, that we would do so, that we would authentically mourn and grieve, but on the solid rock of our hope in Christ, knowing that you do all things for our good and for your glory, and that you will never stop loving us, and that through Christ you have saved us and given us the hope of eternal life that can never be taken away. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.